Welcome to the Sim Cafe, a podcast produced by the team at Innovative Sim Solutions, edited by Shelley Hauser. Join our host, Deb Tauber, as she sits down with subject matter experts from across the globe to reimagine clinical education and the use of simulation. So pour yourself a cup of relaxation, sit back, tune in, and learn something new from the Sim Cafe. Welcome to another episode of the Sim Cafe. Today, we're blessed to have Elizabeth Wells Beatty. She's currently a clinical assistant professor at Texas A&M University, and she's been a nurse educator and simulationist for 12 years. She's got a history of working in the military. So thank you for your service. Elizabeth has had a lot of experience. She received her Cheese A, and she's been actively serving in the International Nurses Association for Clinical Simulation and Learning by collaborating with fellow simulationists. And she's been working very actively as one of the board of directors for INASCO. So thank you very much, Dr. Wells Beatty. And what, what would you like me to call you in this interview? Thank you, Elizabeth, please. Okay, thank you. I will call you Elizabeth. All thank right, you. so why don't you go ahead and share your story for our listeners? Okay, so I started, I'm with so many different people that sometimes I still feel like I'm a young nurse, but then I see my students and I'm really not a young nurse. So I've been nursing for 21 years now. I graduated with my bachelor's degree 21 years ago from University of New Mexico started off in a labor and delivery unit. So that was really my first love of nursing and all things nursing. And while I was doing that, I kind of started to dabble a little bit within education and that kind of arm of things. And with that really, and when I think back about it, so I I kind of go back two ways because I start thinking about it. And really then was when I kind of started with simulation because I became one of the instructors for our fetal monitoring course and for um, newborn resuscitation. So I kind of just, and just in this moment, I started thinking about it. I was like, you know, I've been doing sim a lot longer than I really gave myself credit for, because of course I used to be the one that would take all the babies over to somewhere else and the education to be able to do the resuscitation. And we used to kind of do some practice on some um, cervical models with exams to be able to put fetal scalp electrode on the baby's head So really have kind of been doing, I mean, of course, except for nursing school, have been doing it myself and teaching for quite some time. And I was also an ACLS instructor. So then as I kind of fast forward a little bit, ended up meeting my husband and he is retired Air Force. So while we were together, I got stationed with him in Germany, Spangdalem, Germany, amazing place to live. Like that's the one place I tell my students, if they offered me a job, we would go in a heartbeat because it's such a beautiful place to live. And the unfortunate thing is sometimes when you go there as a military spouse, you aren't employed. So you really kind of volunteer, you do things with other people that are there for some of the services that they have. And I happened to meet up with one of the majors that was running their department of education for the medical group. And I started teaching ACLS PALS and BLS for her. And so we were talking one day and she goes, you know, we have this program that's starting and it is, it it has to do with mannequins. It has to do with simulation. 
It's this charge from the Air Force um, Surgeon General. And we have this whole simulation program that we have to start up. And it was through this program called AFSMAT. And she said, would you, do you want to apply? And so I said, yeah, why not? I'll let, I'll go ahead and try it. So I applied and she's like, well, come here and look. And I always giggle because I heard the podcast that you had with Susie and it was the big mannequin in a coffin. I mean, it was the gigantic HPS mannequin still in the box. It wasn't, had never even been hooked up to the compressor. I don't even know that the computer, I don't even think the computer system was still working because when I got hired, they ended up switching their platform over and it went from the one that you had to figure out how to program all of the stuff in there. Like initially when she told me what she had to learn and gives me this manual as I'm overseas trying to figure out how I'm going to use this mannequin. I'm like, I have no idea what this means. Like I'm not a programmer. I have no idea what I'm going to put into this thing to try to get it to do everything it was supposed to. I was fortunate that they had just shifted over to the platform that they currently have, which I think is Medi, and it was on a Mac computer. Well, I never used Mac computers either. I was always a, a PC person. And so that was still a little form, but at least with that, you would click on your scenarios. You could build your scenarios. So did that, was one of the first people to actually lock up a Mac computer because I was building all these scenarios for the medics that are going downrange to stay active with their EMT certifications. And I don't know what I was, I think I was trying to build an evisceration. I had all this moldage all over the place and I built this thing and, and it completely froze. So I have to get a hold of a rep in the U S it's, I don't even remember what the time difference was. I think it was like seven o'clock in the morning for him. And I'm like, I just locked up the computer. And I, I still remember him. He's like, you did what? I was like, I locked the computer. Like, I don't, I can't go any further. I don't know what I'm doing. I, it literally it's frozen. He's like, you can't freeze a Mac. And I'm like, um, well, I've done it. <laughs> and I don't know. Can you please try to figure out how to get me out of this situation? So from there, I ended up coming back to the States. I started with my master's in nursing, came back to the U.S. and started teaching at a small community college in the Panhandle of Florida, because that's where we were stationed next was Panama City Beach. There, I was kind of like a one and a half man show because I was the one that was the most advanced in simulation, but still at the time really, really didn't know what I didn't know and really kind of what damage I was doing to the students because I think it was still around that time to where it was like, oh yeah, if the mannequin dies, it dies. Like let's, they'll figure it out. There was, there was no psychological safety in what I was doing. It was like, oh, let me see if I can do this so that they respond. And I think Susie has said that a couple of times too. You kind of look back and you're like, oh my God, like what damage did I do to the students in what I was doing here? And so from there, I graduated with my doctorate in education and then transferred over when my husband retired to Texas A&M University. I've been with them for going on seven years now. And this is really where everything has been able to excel with simulation. I've been in a really great program that uses a lot of simulation, we use a lot of standardized patients. And so it's been amazing the support that not only myself, but my other faculty have had within our program, just recently provisionally accredited. And so it's a lot of growth that's, that's occurring and just continuing to move on leaps and bounds. Wow. Thank you. Well, congratulations on your provisional accreditation. That's thank you. Very, very exciting. Uh, and I can totally relate to, you know, prior to me getting into formal simulation that, um, you know, you're doing, you're teaching CPR, you're teaching ACLS, mm -hmm. you're teaching ENPC. All those courses are using simulation, but we didn't call it that at that time. No. Mm -mm. Right, right. 
which is funny because I actually had, I'm trying to remember where I was at. I think it was when I was in Florida and it was really trying to get that motivation to get other faculty that I was working with to use simulation because everybody was just, it was still so foreign and they didn't know how to use it. They didn't know. I mean, they even had, which was funny because they actually even had one of the older original screen-based simulations that was created by, um, I think it was the American Heart Association where you could actually like when they tried it, First, first tried it, you could go in there, you could do everything on like scenarios in the computer. And then it flopped. It didn't do very well. Um, and they just, I don't know, it's just, it's so interesting because they'd be like, oh, well, we don't do simulation. I'm like, but you do. You you go to ACLS and CPR every, every time we renew, we're using simulation. So like I would use it and every now and again, they'd be like, oh, because it was still the ones that were even hesitant that it would do anything for, for the students or do anything to help with those skills and help with educating kind of that critical thinking process and whatnot. So it's, it's really interesting to see even within the last 10 years, how far it's come. Yeah, I teach that in those courses I have on Healthy Simulation Platform. And it goes from most people use GlowGerm to teach hand washing. Uh, yeah, and that's simulating. That's exactly. role playing is simulation. <laughs> Sure, you're going to need somebody who knows what they're doing to do a fire in the operating room, but there's all that in between, right? Mm -hmm. All right, Elizabeth, let's get on to our next question, which is, why don't you share with us your most interesting, impactful, or favorite simulation? For me, that's really hard. I truly do love simulation, and I think there's moments of learning and just those sparks of aha moments that I think come with every simulation. Um, I mean, if I had to pick one, that's my favorite, I would probably say we have, I've had the opportunity, not recently because kind of our structure of our college and our satellite campus has switched a little bit. But when I first came over, we had a college of medicine on our campus and we're going to be getting a college of medicine back. But we did an interprofessional postpartum hemorrhage simulation with the college of medicine students and the college of nursing students. And I think that has always been one of my favorites because it's a really great opportunity for the students to learn from each other. And it really was nice to see some of those, I hate saying systemic, but it's some of those marginalizations that start to become built between nursing and medicine that occur that you don't realize how early on they occur. And it was really, really awesome to have an autonomous relationship with the College of Medicine physician. Her and I were the ones doing the simulation together. We were on equal playing ground and we had a really great discussion with the students about the roles of each group of students and how important they are to each other. And just really the conversations and the aha moments that would go off and spark with those. For instance, we had one group of students one time because we'd go all the way to the end to where providers having to call for blood and do the orders for blood and we had blood laying out for them to do everything with, for the blood and everything. And the nursing students doing everything and we can see him in the camera and he's like in the room trying to figure out why she's not back yet. And so he's even getting frustrated. Like you could see on his face. He's just like, okay, why is she not back that way? So we talk about it in debrief. And he says, he raises his hand and he said, you know, and he called himself out. He was like, I was kind of frustrated. He said, I couldn't, I was so frustrated because she like, I asked for the blood. It wasn't there. 
And we were like, well, yeah, because that's not, the blood doesn't just instantaneously show up in the room when you are actually at the hospital. So we, we tried to do a really good job of mimicking the possibility of that you have to go all the way downstairs or down the hall or whatever you have to do to get blood. And there was this moment in his head that he just went, oh, wow. I never even thought about that. He's like, and I think I got snippy and he looked at her and he's like, did I get kind of snippy with you? And then they just kind of had a dialogue back and forth. And it was just, it was really neat to hear. I didn't even ever think that that would be a possibility as to where I thought it would just appear and I would have blood because I asked for blood. I think it's really those aha moments that are amazing to me. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great story. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. So where do you see the future of simulation going? Where do you, what are you thinking? I think about this all the time because I think we're really in this amazing transition that's occurred with COVID. I think it's allowed us and those of us that are already disruptive innovators to be recognized, to say, hey, wait a second, your ideas of this, this, or this that may have been completely out of the box and outlandish before, everybody's now going, oh, wait, you were actually thinking a few years forward and COVID just kind of pushed everything forward from where I was thinking. So really, what the minute I saw the one of the first commercials and advertisements about the metaverse, it was like, oh, that would be really cool. Like there's just tons of ideas that started spinning through my head. I've always been told that I have a very utilitarian mindset. And so for me, when I see that, I think about the opportunities that are there for me as a simulation in an institution that has amazing resources to be able to collaborate with a community college in rural Texas or rural New Mexico or somewhere and be able to share my resources with them so that they can also produce great healthcare providers. And I think that's the big thing is how can we create simulation in a sense to where it's breaking down the barriers to be able to improve safe patient care. And that's the biggest thing. So when I saw tigers and lions and everything are right there with them and around them, I just think that there's amazing possibilities. And where I falter is that my mind thinks that we can get there like now. So I'm the student that thinks the blood's going to show up. (laughs) I want this, I want the VR sim now and I want all that to to happen. There's still things that are kind of behind. So I've been doing some stuff with virtual reality currently. Get another amazing opportunity that I work with faculty students from our Department of Visualization from our main campus at Texas AM. So nice collaboration that everybody doesn't have the opportunity to have. But we are creating several different types of VR simulations that aren't currently being explored with some of the vendors. So a lot of the vendors that I've noticed really have more are focusing on that acute care setting. And so we're looking more at kind of the community substance abuse and forensic nursing. So I have Dr. Harwang So. She's one of the faculty members from the Department of Visualization and Caleb Kicklighter. He actually presented with me at IMSH. They're both from the Department of Visualization. I have Dr. Cindy Weston and Dr. Stacy Mitchell are both faculty within our college that we are collaborating doing separate VR components. So we have one that's an expert interview which is a screening brief intervention and referral to treatment. So patients that have drug abuse 
misuse types of issues. So we're working on how can we get that screening normalized for all nurses so that they're asking it all the time, kind of like the same question when you go in, hey, do you feel safe at home? And then with the forensics department, we're actually working in the midst of creating a um, sexual assault nurse examination within the Oculus headset. Wow. That's exciting stuff and very necessary, especially during a global pandemic when people turn to substances and, you know, there's violence within homes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. uh, Great, great work. Thank you. Thank Thank you, you. Elizabeth. The next question I'm going to ask is, what do you think, what are your thoughts on telehealth? Interestingly enough, uh, before COVID even hit, uh, a group of us at our institution. So again, like I said, we're very fortunate. A couple of different things. Texas Workforce Alliance has these grants that they give institutions within the state of Texas that are really giving everybody the opportunity to increase their use of simulation. It's the Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board. And so we had a couple of faculty members that had actually submitted for a grant to increase the utilization of simulation in our program. And then they were fortunate that they got another grant, which is very rare, to really look at that faculty development component and increase faculty awareness and how we build our faculty. So they, with that grant, which is extremely rare, had the ability to pay for a certain number of faculty to get their certification in simulation. And so part of that was kind of developing us to get our certification. And we went to a conference down at Corpus Christi. And I'm trying to remember what the year was. Because, you know, with COVID, everything melds together now. But I want to say it was 2016, I think. And Dr. Decker was actually one of the ones that was the main presenters. And they had already started talking about kind of doing telehealth type of stuff. And they were showing us the robot, the one that was on wheels that had the iPad on, on a stick, basically. <laughs> so they still had some funding. So we bought some. So we get them and everybody's like, okay, well, now what are we going to do with them? Like we have these things. And so myself and another faculty member got with our community faculty and said, Hey, can we write you a simulation to do a telehealth type of simulation? And so even before COVID, we were actually already doing a simulation with our baccalaureate nurses, having a home visit with a patient to do diabetes education care. And so when all of this happened, I was like, Hey, I had another faculty member that was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I don't, I can't have clinical. And I was like, change it to telecent. So we actually, because we were already doing it, had the ability to put a lot of our sims into like a telehealth model. And then we just started using Zoom. I mean, it just ended up working out well that this platform came up and we started doing this. But I think educating all of our providers, our brand new baccalaureate registered nurses that are coming out because they, they do have the ability for billable types of things. PAs, nurse practitioners, everybody that can provide care needs to know how to do visits in this platform because we, one, we don't know when another pandemic is going to come up. I mean, let's knock on wood that we won't see it for another hundred years. Right. But I think this is just that grain of a start to help push that equity in healthcare to make it somewhat equitable. I mean, we have more of an ability to be able to connect virtually with telephone, with our phones and our cell phones. I mean, who would have ever thought that we would be walking around with mini computers in our pocket and not be able to go anywhere without them (laughs) to where even some of the things that we're looking at with telehealth now is, is even the statistics that are coming off of our smartwatches. I mean, they're 
advertising these new, it, has, it looks like a little disc and the person's putting both fingers on the little disc from Amazon and they can check, do they have a dysrhythmia? Your provider can look at that and say, oh, you know what? You have an ST elevation. You need to get to the hospital now. I mean, how can we advance it to benefit and make care equitable? And I, I think telehealth hopefully will be able to do that and kind of break down some of those barriers. Excellent points. I would totally agree. I remember working when I first graduated from Loyola, working in the telemetry and ICU units when they had the telemetry monitors on for three or four days and they had to stay. I mean, it's just, you know, fast forward to now, you just, like you said, put your fingers on this. Yeah. And see your yeah. Right. yeah. Oh, well, even labor and delivery. I mean, my, you know, my background's labor and delivery. They, how long did they used to keep women when they would have children in the hospital? And now it's I was just telling my students the other day, we got to educate from the minute they walk in the door till they leave, because we'll be lucky if they're there for 48 hours and you really don't want them there longer because what's going to happen if they are there longer. (laughs) Right. What is going to happen? I think one of the things too, that the telehealth as well as simulation gives the opportunity because when patients are, you know, in those vulnerable situations, they're sick, they're scared, they're being released from the emergency department or whatnot. They don't remember, they're in such a panicked mode, they don't remember their the teaching. So how can you provide easy little bite-sized pieces for them so that they can refresh their memory when they get home? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and just even some of those educational components. I mean, we have we have some of the highest morbidity and mortality rates for moms when they go home. And I mean, a simple phone call within that first week and two weeks of them delivering because they don't see an obstetrician until close to six weeks out. They see a pediatrician first. So having that ability for, and again, it can be an, it can be a baccalaureate prepared nurse at a physician's office just to call and say, Hey, Mrs. Beatty, I'm calling to see how you're doing. How are you and the baby? And I mean, just that in itself could help so many moms. (laughs) Right, it's just home for the first time with a baby that's now not sleeping and colky and everything else. And could you even imagine being a mom, a brand new mom in global pandemic, and you're coming home and you've got some postpartum depression to add to, no. you know, you're on lockdown. I mean, there's a lot of good uses for simulation as well as telehealth you mm-hmm. know, like for, for this. Honestly, I hadn't even thought of that about that part. And I don't even know if any of the data or research is coming out yet to see if the, I mean, we know depression's increased even without the fact of postpartum depression. So I would be really, really worried about what our statistics are going to be now. And I, you saying that just made me think about it. Is there anything else that you'd like to leave our listeners with or any questions for me? I think you know that after 12 o'clock, I only answer easy questions. <laughs> it's the It's the after lunch, right? I think, I mean, just if we're looking at kind of sparking the listener's intent to continue to, for them to go with the best practices is really in their mind, what's the one thing that they may be able to do for simulation that could help improving not only their program, but maybe even globally, what's that one idea that they think would have never flown, you know, pre-COVID that could very well be something that they could take forward now and really just I think reach out because there's a lot of mentors out there. There's a lot of people in simulation that you would never think that you could even walk up to and say, Hey, how are you? My name is the very personable IMSH was amazing this year because it was smaller. So I think you had a lot of ability to connect and see people and just talk with people that you would never think that you would 
be able to talk to because you never know what ideas you may be able to give them, but you never know what ideas they may be able to spark in you. And I think that's really trying to find ways to continue that dialogue, even in a pandemic situation. I mean, this itself, you can talk via Zoom, you can listen to podcasts, reach out to people, even if it's just, hey, can you help me find this? Or could you help me find that? And I think that's a big thing because sometimes we think people are so busy in their worlds that they're not willing to help out. And I think simulation is a small enough world and community that anybody would love to branch out and reach out and help people if they can. Right, right. Thank you so much. And if our listeners wanted to get a hold of you, where could they reach you? I will add that into the speaker notes. So there's a connection, but you know, for the the listeners, the audio, the audio people, where would they get a hold of you? Um, anybody can get a hold of me uh, very easily on social media. So I have um, a LinkedIn account and I have a Twitter account so they can reach me on any one of those accounts. Um, and then they're also welcome to email me at my work email, which is wells beady at tamu.edu. Thank you. Thank you Thank so you. much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to interview you and have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thanks for joining us here at the Sim Cafe. We hope you enjoyed. Connect with us at www.innovativesimsolutions.com. And be sure to hit that like and subscribe button so you never miss an episode of the Sim Cafe.